0: Good morning. It's 813 on Friday, August 12th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new Amazon Fulfillment Center opens in Madison County. Then we talk to a school superintendent about gun policies and safety standards. Plus, when hurricane season entering its peak period, we take a look at the updated forecasts. This is Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Tech giant Amazon has a new first-of-its-kind fulfillment center in Central Mississippi. The company cut the ribbon on its JAN facility yesterday. The robotic sortable center is 3 million square feet and is capable of processing up to 1 million orders per day. What makes this center different from any of the previous ones Amazon has established in the state is JAN 1. It's the first to utilize robotic vehicles in its storage and retrieving of items. Paul Griffin, president of the Madison County Board of Supervisors, spoke at the ceremony. He told the story of catching the big fish.
2: So we went out, Madison County Board of Supervisors, and hired a hot shot economic development director <laughs> named Joey Diesel. When he came in, he got his marching orders that we wanted something on this site That wasn't nothing but a pine thicket. Right here. We wanted a big fish right here. So he went to work. He reached out to some more of our partners. He reached out to the City of Kent, CMU, Intergy, the State of Mississippi, DRA, and others. And after he put all that together. The big fish stopped looking over into Mississippi. They came into Mississippi. While all them big fish were standing around looking at that bait on the hook that we had put out there, Amazon came in with right by and they took the bait, the hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) And we was able to land Amazon, right here on this site, and I want to say to Amazon, thank you for coming to Canton, Central Madison County, and I hope your business strives, and I know it will strive, because we have the best workforce around.
0: Governor Tate Reeves was also there. He used the opening of the new center to reiterate a common talking point, workforce development.
1: Amazon's invested $600 million in the state of Mississippi over the last several years. Um, This is something that uh, certainly we should all be very proud of. Uh, We're seeing significant capital investment in, in our state. We're seeing significant jobs created all throughout our state you know in the old days we used to have a lot of people out looking for jobs today we have a lot of jobs out looking for people and the reason for that is um, we proved over the last several years that mississippi's open for business uh, i'm proud of of what we've been able to accomplish and i'm looking forward to seeing even more of these uh, groundbreaking opportunities we've been doing it all over the state for the last couple years and we're going to continue to do so Governor, what are your thoughts on this meaning for the tech sector in mississippi moving forward well you know one of the things that we talk a lot about is the Uh, the fact that uh, we are training our workforce not for the jobs of the last 50 years, but the jobs of the next 50 years. And when you walk through this facility, what you're going to see is that most everything is automated. Uh, We're going to have 1,500 employees here. There's an awful lot of technology inside this facility. Um, And individuals, the reason that these individuals are getting paid uh, above average wages and and great benefits is because you have to have a skill set to operate Uh, this and and we're training those people right here in Mississippi and so I think today also not only represents uh, the $600 million that Amazon has invested in Mississippi, not only represents the 1,500 Mississippi families that will be able to provide for themselves because of this facility, it also represents the future. It represents more companies investing in in technology-based industries that's going to lead to uh, better jobs, higher wages, and a better quality of life for Mississippians.
0: The new center is in Madison County, just north of Jackson. The capital city is once again facing significant water system woes with most of the city's residents under a boil water notice and requested to conserve what water they have due to low pressure. When asked about the continued problems, Reeves directed the focus to the city's leadership.
1: Well, obviously I'm I'm concerned uh, about the the water issues in the city of Jackson. I'm concerned I'm concerned about the crime issues uh, in the city of Jackson. I just had a conversation earlier this morning um, with one of the uh, state representatives uh, with respect to this. Um, We're going to continue to to work on it. Um, The the fact is, um, in the state of Mississippi, cities run their water departments. Uh, The state is not asked to fix the water system in um, Madison. They're not asked to fix the water system in Flowood. Um, but I'm frustrated. I live in the city. I am frustrated just like everyone else is. Um, we're going to continue to work to put pressure on the leaders of the city of Jackson to do their job.
0: Reeves has said his administration has had talks with city representatives, but has not said whether or not he has spoken directly to Mayor Shokwe Antar Lamumba. Coming up, we talk to a school superintendent about gun policies and safety standards. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB, the number four car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB Car Tag. MPB and Cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi Department of Education is taking public comments on a policy revision centered around the state's 2011 concealed carry law. The law allows those with proper licenses to carry a gun onto public property, including schools, but the state board's policy did not comply with the law, restricting concealed carry to only sworn in law enforcement. School districts are still required to create their own weapons policies. Ken Barron, superintendent of Yazoo County Schools, says teachers and faculty are strictly prohibited from carrying guns on school grounds. He shares more on the safety policy with MPB's Rhonda Dunaway.
3: Local boards approve their own policies, and that is the, I don't want to say the law of the land, but that, that is that is the ruling judgment of that district. Like, like like if we say, you know, you have to have a shirt on to come to school, and I know that's being overly simplistic, but if you have to have a shirt on to come to school, that's a rule for that school. And as long as a state law or a state board policy does not, contra- or a federal law does not contradict that or overrule that, then that's a, that's a policy they have to follow. So, like in our case, you know, I'm looking at this state law 459101, um, and it does grant some latitude for people with concealed carry to take weapons in certain places. But we can say that you can't take them into classrooms, or you can't take them into the gym, you cannot take them into the office, you know, you can't have them, you know, out. In you know certain areas of the campus where students are, um, and I and, and that gives us the latitude. We also have the latitude to prohibit students or um, faculty members from carrying weapons. Like we we can put some some place things in place to prevent, but like if like if a according to our policy, if a teacher brought a pistol to school, we could terminate that teacher's employment employment like that minute. Okay, because of the policy we have.
4: So. Are there any policies in place or new things um, in policy that weren't there before uh, for school safety? Is there anything in your uh, in Yazoo de, uh, County that um, you guys are doing different to ensure the safety of kids, like, say, the locked doors, um, anything about your campuses, any, you know, systems that you may have in place now that you might not have had in before?
3: Well, the short answer on policy side, no, we have not changed policies, Um, but we are being ever even more vigilant than we, you know, we're continually updating and upgrading our vigilance. We are um, one of the things that we did when I came to Yazoo County four years ago was we we started our own. uh, We had, we we had security officers and they were great guys, you know, one lady and three guys and they, they were good people but they were not certified law enforcement and they could not carry a firearm. And our district is so rural that, that if a, if our deputies were on one side of the county, we, we have, you know, a handful of deputies at work every day. One of our schools, we have two schools in our County that could be, that feasibly could be a 30 minute drive away from the law enforcement officers that could get there. So we started our own force and we have um, we have a, a SRO, a certified police officer, at each school site now. Um, we are constantly looking at ways to make our, our campuses more safe and more secure. Um, we're ensuring that our we, we've been we've been ensuring that our exterior doors are locked. But we are we have put um, procedures in place where we have multiple layers of people who are checking those doors now to ensure through the day that they are. Not you know, and and I don't want to make an excuse here, but 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 sometimes it is somebody goes up and they put a little rock in the door to hold it open, you know, that, you know that happens. But sometimes it is you just let the door close behind you, you just assume it's going to close and it doesn't snap too, you know. Right. So we have people going through, following up, and making sure that our exterior doors are locked. uh We have cameras in our hallways. We have cameras in many of our classrooms. Um, We've done, you know, like I said, we've done quite a few things. We're we're doing some landscaping, um, trimming hedges and things. I mean, and it's things that people never think about until you have a trained law enforcement professional come in and give you that assessment. And we've had actually we've had two of those done. I, I my standing statement is I never want to I, I never want to pick the phone up and call you and tell you your child has been hurt or, or killed. I don't ever have to tell you or any other parent that I failed you. And that, right. that, that that scares me. You know, I mean, I lose sleep over that, as do most of my colleagues. Um, so so we do take this extremely seriously.
4: And so my next question is going to be about uh, the students themselves. And, and you may have this answer or this may um, go to, you know, maybe the school counselors division. I'm not sure. But the, um, like, school, inter, you know, mental health status of students and intervention policies that have to do with that when you, you know, you realize there's a student that's in trouble and that might be, there might be a situation there. Can you speak about that at all?
3: Well, we are, that, that is something very, um, that we are focusing on, and we are, that, that is a key thing that, that a lot of us have been talking about recently, um, with not just with this covid time, I mean we see a spike in um in in mental how said mental health but i mean you know people are stressed, people are fearful you know right now, even you know over these last two years they' they've been they've been bombarded with negative things that all turned you know the, the mm-hmm. COVID struggles and things and the isolation, so we have ramped up our um um, uh, SEL, social emotional learning. We have increased our. Uh, we, we've added some layers of. Uh, we have a software package in place now, where students can uh, report incidences and things to our uh, to our principals, to our counselors. I mean, they, they can do it where they can drop anonymous, uh, you know, reports to different people, and um, we can. You know, we're adding those layers to where, pe- where these kids can get, get to us and ask for the help they need. Uh, we've had partnerships, and we still do have partnerships, with local mental health organizations, and they are wonderful. They, they, they are grossly underfunded, but they give us, you know, they help us tremendously. And um, so, uh, so, yes, the, the social-emotional side of things, the, the mental health side of things is something we really, that to me is the real key to fixing this problem. We've got to find a way to address mental health in our country.
4: Well, um, Ken Barron with the Yazoo County School District, I sure do appreciate you taking out the time to speak with me today. Mm Yes, ma'am.
0: Public comment on the updated policy ends Monday, August 15th. Coming up with hurricane season entering its peak period, we take a look at the updated forecast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Every April, the Department of Atmospheric Science at Colorado State University releases its forecast for the Atlantic hurricane season. It's something they've been doing since 1995. This year, researchers predicted an above-average season, 19 named storms, 9 hurricanes, and 4 major hurricanes since that initial forecast. They have released updated predictions based on changes they've observed, the latest being last week. Phil Klogbach is a senior research scientist at Colorado State University. He explains the updated forecast to our Michael Guidry.
5: We put out our first forecast in April. At that point, we forecast nine hurricanes. Um, An average season has about seven. Um, In June, we actually upped it to 10 hurricanes. And with August, we actually lowered it down to eight hurricanes, so a little bit above normal, but not as active as what we thought in early June. And a lot of that's just because um, the climate system is always changing. Um, So things look one way early in the season, and then as the season has progressed, uh, things look slightly less conducive for an above normal season, but we still think overall above normal levels of hurricane activity.
6: On that June update, you said it went from 9 to 10. I remember the beginning of the season. It felt like right out of the gates we had a named storm, uh, and it was kind of one of those, well, here we go situations. Uh, but then things got really quiet over this summer. Um, what were you seeing in your research? What, what factors or indicators led you to increase that update in June for hurricanes? Uh, and then how have maybe have those factors or indicators changed since then to now reduce it down to 8?
5: Yeah, so the reason we increased our forecast was primarily because, well, two factors. One, the La Nina um, that we thought was going to be in place in the tropical Pacific has certainly developed the way that we thought it would. And so La Nina, which is colder than normal water in the central and eastern tropical Pacific, when that occurs, typically lowers levels of vertical wind shear, which is a change in wind direction and speed of height in the atmosphere. Too much of that shear tears apart hurricanes. Um, the other factor in early June was the Atlantic Was quite a bit warmer than normal in early June. Um, And since then, while the La Nina has continued, um, the Atlantic is still a little bit warmer than normal, but not quite as warm compared with normal as it was um, in early June. So that's one of the reasons why we backed down the numbers. As you did mention, it was busy early on. We had three storms um, through July 3rd, and we actually have had zero storms since then. Um, But the Atlantic hurricane season is extremely peaked. And so... Starting around August 20th is really when the season really, really ramps up. Uh, we get over 80% of our hurricanes between August 20th and about October 10th. So that's about the kind of a peak window. So we do expect to see storm activity, um, increasing, um, not in the next few days, but probably uh, once we get 10, 15 days out, we do expect to see, um, the, the hurricane season really start to ramp up. And
6: that's kind of where I was going to go because the the forecast has changed a little bit, but it hasn't dramatically changed. And as you said, it, you're still predicting a, an above average season. And uh, you know we're we're almost halfway through August. So it, based on the indicators and the factors you look at, and and kind of maintaining this, maybe not as as active as we thought in April, but still at more active than average. Uh, can we expect a, a, a really compact period here? Uh, where people who live in uh, in Hurricane Alley, the, the along the Gulf Coast, the Atlantic Coast, should, should people start to kind of put their antennas up uh, for a really active period here?
5: Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, even just historically, again, mid-August to mid-October is the time of the season when things really, really ramp up. Um, and so obviously like right now things are so quiet, but again, there are indications that we probably are going to see, um, a pickup in activity, um, once you move, say not the next 10 days, but once you get beyond that, it sounds like conditions are going to be more conducive. Um, it is important to note with these seasonal hurricane forecasts. this is our 39th year of doing them. Um, but these forecasts do show skill um, in general, but we are able to tell you whether it's going to be a, an above or below normal season, but these forecasts do bust on occasion. So, you know, if you call me in late November, we've had four hurricanes, you know, that wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time that we didn't have a, a perfect forecast, but in general, these forecasts do show decent level, reasonably good levels of skill, especially with the early, early August outlook, uh, because then we're closest to the events we're trying to predict. It,
6: but um, I know you look at a, a number of factors. You mentioned um, the 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 warm waters of the Atlantic, the La, the La Nina um, in the Pacific. Uh, is there a period? I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Is there a Is there a geographic hotspot um, during this period of the the Atlantic hurricane season, that window of, like you said, mid-August to late September early October, uh, that that produces um, more activity than others?
5: Yeah, that's correct. So early on in the hurricane season, so say in June and July, a lot of the storms that form um, tend to form either in the Gulf of Mexico or just off the east coast of the United States. And while those can happen at any time, the kind of the um, classic uh, hurricane that you probably learn about, you know, basically the ones coming right off of Africa, that tends to be kind of quote-unquote hurricane alley really opens up um, about this time um, through the middle part of September. And then as we get towards later September into October, where the storms tend to really, the strong storms tend to form, is shift back farther west. And typically October into November, if you're going to get strong storms, they often will form more in the Caribbean. Um, that's where your strong storms tend to form late in the season.
6: And that's kind of where I wanted to end the strong storm. Um, uh, what we talked about just hurricanes in general, but one of the things that your, your forecast does kind of look at are you know, strong storms and then hurricane days that are, uh, that are days out there days um, in which a a hurricane or in some cases, a strong hurricane uh, is out there churning. So uh, has anything changed in those regards to uh, the amount of strong storms That's what Category 3 or higher and the amount of hurricane days, uh, the days that a hurricane might be churning and present a threat? Have any of those things changed?
5: Yeah, so we do forecast, as you mentioned, the number of major hurricanes, which are Category 3 and above, winds of 111 miles per hour or greater. Um, and so in April, we forecast four of those. In June, we forecast five. And then and with our latest update, we went back to four. And in average season, it has about three. Um, The day's forecast has also kind of gone up and gone down a little bit uh, with the forecast. The idea being that in general, um, if the environment is more supportive than normal for forming hurricanes and major hurricanes, those storms also tend to last longer. Um, So, again, all in all, we still expect to see an above normal season. Certainly right now, you know, things are not active, thankfully, but we do expect to see things probably start to pick up in about 10 days to two weeks.
0: Phil Klotzbach is a research scientist in the Department of Atmospheric Science at Colorado State University. The chances for a landfall along the Gulf Coast for a hurricane is 43 percent, he says. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.